Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 98 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 3rd of February 2013, entitled, The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 30. And the Bible readings are taken from Mark, chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, and Acts, chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. We'll look back once again to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, and then also reading from the book of Acts, chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. I invite you to stand with me for the honor of the reading of God's precious and holy word. First of all, from Mark, chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, Jesus speaking, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world. And preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Then in the gospel, the book of Acts, chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. When he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. It came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to be in your house to gather together with our brothers and sisters in Christ this day. Thank you for this place, Lord, that has been set aside to worship you, to to serve you through. And Father, as we meet here today, we thank you that in our midst we have your word that has been preserved for us, your spirit within us. Father, we do pray earnestly, Lord, that you would take and, and, and by, by your power that you would meet with us at this time, that you would speak to every heart the very words that need to be spoken. Father, you know each and every need. You know what each individual, Lord, has uh, Lord going on in their lives here this morning. And we just pray that, Father, that you would speak to them. The lost might be saved. The backslider that's restored. The Christian that needs, Lord, to be encouraged, strengthened, built up, or challenged. Lord, we just pray that you would do what you can do, what you alone can do, and all for your glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. All right, as we continue in our series, and we've been looking at the glorious church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, as we have looked at this glorious church of Jesus Christ, we have looked at a number of things in the defining of a New Testament church and the design of a New Testament church. And under the design of a New Testament church, we've most recently been looking at the actual operation of the church. And of course, as we considered the ministry of worship, first of all, we now have been considering these past few weeks the ministry of witness. As we have looked at this ministry of witness, we have stated very clearly that it would be impossible for us to overstate its importance. We've seen thus far that the ministry of witness is crucial. That's how the church began. Without the gospel, without souls being saved, there would be no church. 
We saw that even there when that first church began in Jerusalem, that it was the gospel that was preached and that as the Holy Spirit moved upon them. We see, first of all, those 3,000 coming to Christ. We see him preach a second message, proclaim the gospel, another 5,000 coming to Christ. We find that there on the day of Pentecost and all those times after that, that not only did the church begin from the preaching of the gospel, Jesus Christ built it himself. He is the gospel, and that's what it's built upon. But we saw that it is central as we go through the book of Acts over and over and over again. What are they doing? They're witnessing. They're witnessing the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, they're being thrown in jail. Yes, they're being persecuted. Matter of fact, they come to the point that after all this throwing in and out of jail and being declared not to preach this gospel that they're preaching, finally the persecutions get so strong that they're completely run out of town. They're scattered abroad. But the Bible said they, as they were scattered abroad, they went everywhere preaching the gospel. <laughs> I mean, everything's been taken from them <laughs> because of their faith, because of their witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's cost them everything. And yet, what do they do? They continue to declare the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is crucial. It is central. We saw thirdly that it is commanded. And the simple truth is Jesus Christ commanded it of every believer, of every church on the face of the earth, and we can either obey or disobey. There is no in-between. It's not optional. It's not something we can do when we feel like it or when we learn enough or when we get the time. It is something that is required. It is something that is commanded. And our Lord said, if you love me, keep my commandments. We saw last week that it's compassionate. We looked at the great example, the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ, the way that he hurt for the lost of this world, the way that he was willing to suffer and die because he loved them so much, because he cared so much. We say that we claim to be his church. We're supposed to be his body. How can we care less than he cared? The ministry of witness is crucial, it's central, it's commanded, it's compassionate, but I want to declare to you today, folks, it's Christian. Are we a Christian church? Or not? Is it a church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we a called out assembly that belongs to the Lord? We've seen that's what a church is. Are we the body of Jesus Christ himself? Are we like him in what we are doing as Christians, in what we are doing as a church? You see, today, there are all kinds of labels, and we can label ourselves as Baptist, and that, that should tell us something, and some of those things are even very important. And I remind you that first and foremost, we're not Baptist, but Christian. Being a Christian is essential. It's a noun. That's 
who we are. Baptist could be an adjective that tells what kind of Christian that we are. It may tell some things about that Christian, but I'm proud. I'm proud to be a Baptist, to be identified with those that have given their lives right through the centuries, but I'm more proud to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, to be a little Christ, to be like Christ. Those that believe what we believe. They've been called other things. Before Baptist, it was Anabaptist. Before that, there's a whole list of names of those that believe what we believe, that gave their lives for them. All those other names, but right through the centuries, they've all been called Christians. They've all been called Christians. But we've seen already that being a New Testament Christian is more than just taking on a name. It's more than just being a Christian in name. And certainly being a New Testament church, many churches claim to be churches and they've got all kind of good intentions and they do all kind of good things, but that doesn't make it a New Testament church, no matter how serious and how sincere that they might be. And that doesn't mean that somehow we're smarter than them, that we're more spiritual than them, that we've got all these things. No, it's by God's grace. It's His Word that defines and declares what a New Testament church is, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in its simplest terms, being a Christian and being a New Testament church, for one thing, it is being like Christ. We've seen that in so many ways. I would go as far as to say that to call ourselves a Christian or to call ourselves a Christian church, a, a New Testament church, without the ministry of witness being a priority, listen, in everything that we do, that it's about as contradictory as you can get. Christ came to save. The ministry of witness is being Christ-like. I would say that to call ourselves by his name, to call ourselves a Christian and not seek to win the lost would be just about as hypocritical as we could get. To be committed to the ministry of witness is to be like him. And that's what being Christian is supposed to be. Not to be committed to the ministry of witness, I believe, makes a mockery of taking the name and describing ourselves as a Christian. You know, we could just as say it is Christ-like, it is Christian. To be a Christian, it means to be a little Christ. It means to be like him. A number of years ago, a man by the name of Norman Cousins, he was a writer and he wrote an editorial in the Sunday Review and he reported a conversation that he had had on a trip that he had made in India. And on that trip, he was talking to a Hindu priest by the name of Satis Prasad. 
Now, during this conversation, many things were said, but I'd like to quote one part of that conversation this morning. This is a Hindu priest with his insight into Christianity. He said, Christianity cannot survive in the abstract. It needs not membership, but believers. He said, the people of your country may claim they believe in Christianity, but from what I read at this distance, Christianity is more a custom than anything else. I would ask that you either accept the teachings of Jesus in your everyday life and in your affairs as a nation or stop invoking his name as sanction for everything that you do. He went on to say that Christianity was in need of being saved for the Christian. Folks, that's the day we live in. That's where we are in society. Peter handed me this prayer request while ago, which is just one example of that to pray for the rejection of the bill that the MPs are putting forth on Tuesday for the redefining of marriage in this country. God defines marriage. One man, one woman, forever. But society wants to redefine that. We need to pray, folks. It's just one more step of many things that are going on. And yet... So many would still claim, yes, we're a Christian nation. I know that I gave you the illustration once before, sometime back, of C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd was a very wealthy man. He was a nationally famous athlete, and he literally one day just put it all aside and left for the mission field. Nobody saw him. Nobody heard of him. Nobody knew what had happened to him until some 13 years later he turned up. And, of course, people naturally asked the question, why? Why did you give up everything, all of that wealth and all of that Fame and just disappear. I love his comment. His answer was simply this Some people love to dwell near church with choir and steeple bell, but I want to run a rescue station a yard from the gates of hell. You see, the ministry of witness. It's so easy. And you know, I can't think. I, 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 I'm trying to concentrate. I'm trying to think, you know, what? As a Christian, the devil knows he can't have you. He can't get you. There's nothing he can do to accomplish that. What's the greatest thing he could do to your life? I believe it would be to be Christ-like. <laughs> And folks, you cannot be like Christ without having a heart for souls, without living your life that the lost might come to Christ. So many things in life become so important to us. 
Acts chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, we read there earlier, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him into Antioch. Now notice as they came into this city, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. We find that here's Paul and Barnabas. They're together in Antioch, gathering themselves with God's people in the church there, and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. It's a simple thing that we all know. Why, why were they called Christians? Not because of the sign they wore, of just the claim that they made, but because of the way they were living their lives, because of who they were. These people were mimicking, making fun of them, mocking them and saying, oh, you're just, you're just one of those little Christ. You're like, like Jesus Christ. They didn't mean it complimentary because they detested Jesus. But yet here, these that are assembled together as a church, being taught the word of God, they began to be called Christians. You see, it wasn't just words with them. It wasn't just culture with them. It was life. They were Christians. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, the Word of God tells us this. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46, Jesus speaking says, And why, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why, why do you call me your Lord if you're not going to listen to what I'm saying? He goes on to say, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon the house, could not shake it, where it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not it's like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. What was the difference? The illustration that the Lord Jesus is giving us here, they've both heard the same thing. They've both heard what he taught. The difference was whether or not they paid heed to it. There was nothing different in what one heard over what the other one heard. It was how that it was applied. It was what that they did. You see, everybody here this morning, you've heard these things before. 
You're hearing them here today, and we're all hearing the same message from God's Word. But how will we, how will you, as an individual, respond to God's message? Jesus is the one that said, you know, why call me Lord, Lord, <laughs> and do not the things that I say? It makes no sense to call him our Lord, our Master that he is in control of our life, that we are his servant. And yet, hmm, that's good. But it's good for somebody else. You see, the difference of whether they stood or fell was upon how they responded to what God said. We all have that choice. We find that in Luke also, and in chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, and in verse 10, we have referred to this verse a number of times. Probably everybody here could quote it. But how real is it to us? We call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves little Christ, to be like him. Jesus himself said, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. And I say to you, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. It so many times ends up getting one of the, the least amounts of our time. We don't have time for each other. We don't have time for the church, the body of Christ. We don't have time for the work of Christ because we're too busy because of all these important things in our life. John chapter 20, verse 21. Sometimes I've heard people say, well, you know, we have the commission given to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in Acts but we don't have it recorded in the book of John. But I think John probably recorded the most personal way that the Lord gave it to us. When he met his disciples there in that upper room, when they were afraid, they were hiding because of what they'd done to Jesus and what they might have done to him. And Thomas wasn't there when Jesus first appeared. But Jesus spoke these simple words in John 20, 21. As the Father hath sent me, even so, send I you. As the Father has sent me, even so, send I you. Why did God send Jesus to this earth? To seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. That was his purpose. He came to die. He came to shed his blood. He came to conquer death, which we could not do. The truth is, that's what Jesus has left for us. I say to you folks, yes, we've all heard it. What we are saying here this morning is not something new for any of us. It is a message that we have heard time and time again. And yet, how do we respond? What do we do about it? 
Alila stood on the beach holding her little tiny infant son close to her heart. Tears began to well up in her eyes as she began slowly with her baby in her arms to move towards the edge of the river. She stepped into the water. She silently was making her way out as the tears rolled down her face, and suddenly she was up to her waist in the water. The water was then lapping against the, the feet of the tiny baby that she held in her arms. She stood there for a long time, holding the child, tears streaming down her face, just staring out across the river. Then they said, just in, in, in one quick, sudden movement out of nowhere, she, she slung the baby out into the river as far as she could. Missionary M.V. Voorhees, after being there, he would often witness the, the crowds that would gather there by the, by the gang's river. It was him that told the story because it was him that came upon Alila that very day. And he found her after she had thrown her baby and she was kneeling in the sand and she was crying uncontrollably and, and just beating herself on the breast. His heart broke and with true compassion, he knelt next to her and asked her what was wrong. Through all of her sobbing, she said to him that the problems in her home were too many, that the sins lay heavy in her heart. So she had found it necessary to offer her very best to the goddess gangs. Her firstborn son was the best that she had to offer. Of course, Brother Varhees, his heart ached and he felt for this woman in her desperation. But as she wept, he gently began to tell her about the love of Jesus. That through Christ, her sins could be forgiven. The message began to take hold in her heart and she looked up at him and very strangely said, I've never heard that before. But then as the tears rolled, she asked a pretty important question. Why couldn't you have been here 30 minutes earlier? Why couldn't I have known this 30 minutes ago? Because had I known that message, my child would need not have died. He goes on to say that every year millions of people come to this holy Indian city of Hardwire to bathe in the, in the river gangs. Multitudes come believing this Hindu ritual will somehow wash away their sins. For so many, just like Alila, the missionaries are arriving too late because, folks, they're just simply aren't enough faithful Christians.
that are willing to truly give themselves to the work of getting the message of the gospel to the lost. You say, preacher, that's just a story. No, what makes the story the hardest for me to tell you is that it's not just a story. It is the truth. It is fact. As you and I sit here this morning, you say, well, preacher, God doesn't want me to go to the mission field. Maybe not. But I promise you this. God wants you to go to the lost, wherever that might be. You see, it's one thing for us to look back and, and to think, well, you know, we're just good Christian people. I'm trying to do what's right with my life. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm, I'm trying to be a good example. I'm trying my best to, to keep the, the sin out of my life. I'm trying all these things. But can we please understand that all those things aren't so somebody can, can see a better person so that they can somehow hold us in higher esteem? All those things should be that they can see Jesus Christ in our lives. That they can grasp and understand that Jesus Christ came to die upon the cross to shed his blood to save them from their sins. That's why we're here. I say this morning that we could learn from that uh, Hindu priest that if we're not really going to do as he says, if we're not really going to be little Christ, to be like Christ, then let's quit calling ourselves a Christian. And let's quit calling ourselves a Christian church, the church of Jesus Christ. Because that just cannot be. That is an impossibility. When we look at the ministry of witness, we've seen clearly from Scripture, folks, yes, that it's crucial for the church, it's central to the church, it's commanded of the church, it's compassionate of the church, and it is Christian, Christ-like of the church. You know, those things being said, those things being Scripture, it should go without saying. This is something that should not be just something that we're hearing, something that we know about, something that our response today is going to be to, to hear that message one more time of the importance of winning the lost and yet walk through those doors and live our lives as if nothing had changed. I'm saying that there certainly from this pulpit to every seat out there. I don't think there would be a one of us that could raise our hand and say, I've been as like Christ as I possibly could in seeking to see the lost saved. It can't be something that just happens. You see, 
It requires our utmost attention, Brother Steve. It requires our greatest energies as individual Christians and as a body of Christians that make up this church. How can we respond? What can we do? If we're going to do more than just know about missions, just know about winning the loss, just know about outreach, if it's going to make a difference in our lives, if somehow we're not going to go back out there and just carry right on living the same lives without it changing us. But one thing for sure is that it's going to require that simple thing called commitment. It's going to require commitment on our part. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. We've looked at that passage a number of times in the past couple of weeks. What I want to look at, God willing, as we move on next week, because you see, I, I really believe with all my heart. I, I, I wish, I, I can't come around there because of the microphone. I wish that we could just grasp but folks, it's one of the most special things in all the world to be called a Christian, to have the name of Christ, to be identified with him. You know, many people are proud to be parts of many names and many families on this earth. We should be proud of no name more than being a Christian. But I believe that our lives as Christians could be so much more fulfilled, could be so much more precious, could have so much more meaning if we'd begin to act like our namesake. If rather than just hearing it and knowing these things, and rather than just doing our best to try to be good people and to be good Christians and to do these Christian things, if our very life would become like his, with his purpose to see the lost one to Christ, I don't believe that you can even begin to imagine what God can do with each and every one of you here this morning as individuals. And I don't believe our imagination even goes to what God could do for us as a church if that's really what we were all about. If it was about being like Christ, if it was about doing everything in our power, that's our focus, that's our purpose. That's what's at the forefront, not just what's left over when we can. That's what it means to be a Christian. You can't be a Christian and not be a witness. Not a true Christian. Can you go to heaven? Yes, you can. But just take off the name Christian. 
Quit identifying yourself with him to be like him if we're not going to truly be like him. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, for the simple truths that we must begin to comprehend. Lord, church begins to mean so many things to so many people, and even in our own church. Lord, it takes all kind of different positions of priority in different people's lives, different levels of commitment to all that it's going to be. And Lord, the simple truth is, is that we all hear the same message. We don't all respond in the same way. Lord, I pray. I pray that for each and every believer here this morning that, Lord, you would work in their hearts and lives to make them all they can be. To truly, as those Christians at Antioch, that those around them would recognize and call them Christians, to call them like Christ because of all they are and the way that they're living their lives and all this there, Lord, I pray that when people enter this church, that with this body of believers, Lord, that it would be obvious that Christ is in this place. I pray, Lord, I pray that you would take and with each individual here this morning, that you would sweetly and gently Speak to each heart. Lord, as we continue to look at these thoughts, we will come to recognize that, Lord, commitment is a very individual thing, and the flesh runs from it. But Lord, I pray that you would help us as a people to be committed to your cause, not our own. I pray that you would make a difference I pray, Lord, that you would take and encourage each one here today that regardless of background, regardless of past failings, regardless of where we've been and what we've done, that in Jesus Christ, we can move forward truly as a Christian, as someone that is like Christ, that has the same goal and purpose as he had. Help us be that individually. Help us be that as a church. We will give you the praise and thanks for it. In Christ's name, amen.